Welcome everyone. Welcome to Quantum Nurse Freedom International live stream. And with me are um, Roy Coland from uh, The Great Awakening and um, also Hartmut Schumacher from Go Your Own Path. And the most important thing that you are with us today is our beloved guest who is sharing our precious time is Mark Morano. And for those of you who don't know him, please make sure you get to know him and, and uh, get in touch with him at climatedepot.com or Twitter at Climate Depot. So, because, you know, times, there's so just so much, many things are happening. Everything is happening, left or right, all kinds of topics, all kinds of situations bombarded in this, in our environment. And it's up to us really to, be educated, be informed, and and take responsibility or know what's happening. So for, um, before I further introduce uh, Mark, I'd just like to start with a quote that says, never doubt a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever was, has. And that's from Margaret Mead. And it's good to get inspired with certain code like that because and then because sometimes we i myself and i'm sure other people say you know we're just very small people or we're we're too little it's like a minority and they're the the enemy the people controlling is just a minor a handful and yet oh everything is crazily happening so we have to remember that and all of us and including mark um has also experienced that um if, that we've been censored then they really if you are a professional person they it could even take your whole profession out wipe it out do everything with your family and other connections so mahatma gandhi says will say first they ignore you that they laugh at you then they attack you and then you win and i believe that every little thing and every little happening with every step of the way we have little wins so and i'm so uh, happy uh, that mark morano who is uh, a father uh, a friend to many he is a speaker a talker as john waters will say talker you know and he is a critical thinker and um, he's been really around helping each and every one of us, whether it's be way before the COVID time and even past that time. And he he's, he's, he has many books, and I will print his many books later. And just excuse us, I'm certain things happen in technology. I'm sure he'll be back. So he, he has many books, and one of his recent book is that title the great reset global elites and the permanent lockdown and you can reach out to him and we and on my favorite uh, youtube presentation that i listened to him and viewed to him is in his recent keynote is speaker as a keynote speaker in the um what's that uh, and in the recent international climate conference yes, the heartland institute yeah right right so and um, those are really important and i'm not even doing enough justice to describe who mark is so mark will just add more to what i'm saying but one thing that i like the way he um he, he describes the climate change climate realism right now is that he connected everything during this past three years, especially during the lockdown. And that's important, I believe. I believe that it is important that we connect the dots or else they love it when we can get so confused with one topic, health, COVID, et cetera, and then they connect it. And then that that's it, you know, like as if they're no longer connected. And the same thing as uh, when it comes to health, Sometimes we get so scared because we, we don't know about our body. We don't know about our health. Same thing as if we don't know about earth and for all the lovers, so when we can say mother earth, mother earth, mother earth, if we don't know about earth, if we don't know environment, then yeah, we listen to everything. That is really a lot of misinformation. So Mark, thank you very much. And just please help our audience understand and help us connect 
what they're talking about, we, you know, what happened, what just recently happened. Because there's always a fear that the lockdown will happen again. Who's going to be benefit the lockdown? It does. It Obviously, it did not benefit us. So lead us to this conversation and we'll see what questions and concerns we have to share with you. All and right. Well, perfect. Thank you, Grace. I appreciate it. Uh, just a little bit more my background. I come to this as an investigative journalist. I started out uh, doing documentaries. I did an Amazon rainforest documentary, documentary back in the year 2000 called Clear Cutting the Myths. And it dealt with very similar themes. It was all about environmental groups grossly exaggerating uh, the deforestation to the point where the Amazon was the most intact, least endangered forest on the planet. And all these solutions to deforestation essentially involved de-development and restricting development and limiting the options of the indigenous tribes of the Amazon and essentially allow, allowing for what you'd call eco-imperialism or white, wealthy Western countries telling poor nations of color how they can use their natural resources. So that's how I sort of came into the game. And I, I, I grew up a Republican who, except for environmental issues. So I always consider myself a big environmentalist. I deposed Reagan's interior secretary building the, the logging roads. And I always thought, you know, this is terrible. The environment, it's, 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 it's being destroyed. We can't allow this. Well, my eye opener was the Rio Earth Summit in 1992. Dixie Lee Ray, nuclear engineer, what physicist went down there and did live reports from the Rio Earth Summit explaining what was going on. It was like the first time I'd ever heard it. This was 1992 when then George H.W. Anyway, so I started looking into the environmental issue. And this, of course, led to my documentary. I ended up doing a show called American Investigator, where I did exposés on all the environmental regulations from wetlands to endangered species to the food production. And this, of course, led to me to be skeptical of global warming. And global warming didn't really come on big until Al Gore's film in 2006. And by then, I was working for the U.S. Senate Environment and Public Works Committee. And I started collecting the names of a thousand plus dissenting scientists, including many former U.N. So that's how I fought that. And I've been fighting the climate battle at Climate Depot. And I, I left the U.S. Senate, started Climate Depot. I've attended all these U.N. climate summits. And you can see the U.N., what I say is that you asked me about the climate lockdown. Everything I learned, I saw with COVID, I had already learned in the climate debate. And I mean everything. They use uh, hocus pocus models and they do this in climate. They did it with virology, Neil Ferguson, to scare the hell out of the public. And then they say the only solution and the solution is always the same. It's tyranny, Marxism, crushing government regulations and you know, uh, the freedoms of your movement, your sovereignty, your wealth, every, your economic choice, everything. Exact carbon copies to the point where John Kerry actually said the parallels between COVID and climate are screaming at us. So what they did with COVID and my whole climate world changed in March of 2020. They declared a national you know, a viral emergency, the COVID emergency, public health emergency. This allowed in the United States, particularly and also in Europe and anywhere in the once free West, uh, prime ministers, presidents, governors, mayors of cities to declare a emergency decrees. So the most consequential decisions of our lifetime, meaning peacetime lifetime of anyone alive today, were done without an ounce of democracy. And what do I mean? I mean, Stay-at-home orders were issued for the once free West, copying China. The World Health Organization sent a sham delegation in January and February of 2020. And they said, if you want to know how to handle this virus, copy China. Well, what did that mean? Church closures, school closures, business closures, canceling of weddings and funerals, canceling of medical procedures, masking, canceling of any social events, including so with all the social distancing. This, of course was all done without no, any debate, without votes. These were done through unelected bureaucrats and executive orders by politicians, and they loved it. And the environmentalists loved it. Teen Vogue climate activists said, if we can shut down the world for a virus, we can do the same thing for the climate. This so inspired the World Economic Forum, which has been around since 1971 in Davos, founded and still headed by Klaus Schwab, 
to two months after the global COVID lockdowns began, he issued a call for the Great Reset, which had been around for about eight years at that point, six years, the name. And then they had done some slick videos about you'll own nothing and be happy. Uh, your meat will be a rare treat, not available. Uh, they talked about the whole world fighting climate and you'd, you know, you'd be having drones deliver everything you want and you'd be in the 15 minute cities and your little sector and you couldn't leave. But when, when they were so inspired by these lockdowns that they said, now is the time for a great reset. We have a rare, narrow window of opportunity by which to reset the world this time, meaning after COVID in the name of climate. And lo and behold, they have begun. It is now in earnest. There has been, and I'll stop here in a second, but just to finish my opening point. There has been since March of 2020, the intentional collapse of transportation, agriculture, energy, free speech, and even our monetary, you know, financial system with modern monetary theory and printing of money and now central bank digital currency, inflation, supply chain. They are trying to create the most possible chaos. And this goes back to uh, uh, Vladimir Lenin during Tsarist Russia, during the Bolshevik Revolution. He had actually said, the worse, the better for a society. Worse is better. And the reason that is, is the more chaos you can create, the more you can impose your brand of ideology on an unsuspected, you know, weakened public. And that's really what the Great Reset is. It's exploiting the chaos of a global shutdown for a virus that, you know, this was all unprecedented, of course, in public health to do. So we are now living in the midst of collapse of energy and we're fighting back now. There's many countries in Europe fighting back. They're, you know, they're coming back and reopening their, uh, their uh, fossil fuels. In the case of transportation, just to give you an example in the United States, Gavin Newsom issues an executive order, unelected bureaucrats in California say, okay, we're gonna end the gas powered car by 2035. 22 or 18, depending on the laws of states will follow suit. The Biden administration is all excited. You have the World Bank, former President Nicholas Stern at a World Bank meeting, automakers that they're not gonna be able to get financing to keep producing gas powered cars. Then you have corporate banks telling consumers led by a bank in Australia that we won't be giving car loans to anyone who buys a gas powered car. Then you have, uh, you, you have a situation where you have Colorado, California are banning the creation of new gas stations. So even if you still have a gas powered car after all that, you're gonna have gas station shortages and gas shortages. This is all being done, and it's also happening through the executive orders, through the EPA. They're essentially statutorily killing gas-powered cars with higher and higher emission standards. None of this is voted on. It's actually been ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court, but they're doing it anyway, and it's going to take years for the court to get up. And meanwhile, industry has no choice. They're, they're sort of forced to go along with this, even though they're very weak and not really pushing back enough anyway. So what does all this mean? They're collapsing the internal combustion car forcing us to go electric, which they know it's 6% of sales in the United States, we'll never be able to meet it. What are they doing? They're intentionally creating car shortages. They're forcing people into mass transit. And what does that do? Brings a smile to the climate activists, a smile that this is a climate lockdown, the beginning of it. And then you have multiple people, including Boris Johnson, former PM of UK, his transportation secretary said owning a car was outdated 20th century thinking. You have a Democrat presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, in the United States, who wanted to look at abolishing private cars and instead more moving to shared mobility. In other words, you need a car to go somewhere, you pull it up like an Uber, you can rent a car for a few hours. Canadian magazine, people at multiple calls. And one last point, climate lockdowns are here and now. France has now imposed a two and a half hour flight ban to save the climate. You're now forced to drive, which has a higher death rate. You're forced to take trains, which will also be following the UN sustainable development and limits on their movement. So they're just restricting travel. Oxford, England is experimenting with the 15 minute cities. And you can actually read the fact checks that the mainstream media does. These are very scary things. Even the fact checks admit you're only allowed out of your sector, kind of like East Germany, only up to 95 times a year. And these numbers can be changed on a whim. You have to pay a fine. You have to go longer if you exceed your allowance. So this truly is, uh, the world has changed since March of 2020. All the fantasies of the, of the progressive deep state 
have now become reality. And of course, this goes on. I can go on and talk about agriculture. Same things happening with collapse of high yield agriculture. We saw it first in the Netherlands. They're fighting back. That's coming to the U.S. now. It's already come to Canada. It's in Australia. They're collapsing high yield agriculture to make food more restricted. And what are they going to replace it? And they're collapsing meat as well, going after methane, making meat a rare and expensive treat. We just approved lab-grown meat here in the U.S. We just approved insect eating here. They did the same thing in Europe. They're collapsing plentiful food so that we're more likely to eat Bill Gates funded and Richard Branson lab-grown meat from stem cells from a cow or a calf put into a steel vat in a Petri dish and made up into an amorphous blob without bones and then printed on a 3D printer. That, and we're also going to be forced to eat insects, which is now they're, pr they're pr proving that all over the place. Italy, of course, fighting back, saying their pasta will not have you know, insects in it. So that's my little overview. That's what we're facing right now. And it's coming from all sectors. And the biggest problem we have is Republican leadership, particularly like in America. And there's real no opposition and powerful people in elected positions. Not only will they not recognize what's happening, they won't fight back against it. In fact, if you talk to Republican leadership, they'll call the Great Reset a conspiracy theory. So I hope I didn't talk too much. Okay. No, it's it's just <laughs> un shockingly unbelievable how they were able to how that a small percentage of uh, global evils were able to systematically did all of this, and especially going through our system of our educational system. Yes, that's why it, it seems like the younger generation is like all in it. Most of them. Okay, once in a while you meet someone who is not in it and they understand what's happening. And um, so if we allow it to happen, so that's when we allow it to happen, this is really, but you, you yourself could see that we don't have to allow it to happen and we could do something or else you would have stopped, correct? Yes, and, and what I like to do when I give talks now, I say this will only happen if we allow it. Now, the good news is I mentioned the Netherlands as an example. They formed a farmer's political party to fight back. They're fighting back. And, and here's the more bizarre things, little things like gas stove bans, uh, appliance bans. The Biden administration here in the United States is literally has regulations now to, to literally regulate every aspect of every appliance in an average home, meaning they're going to zap water and energy from these appliances, make them more inefficient and increase the cost hugely. And whether it's in New York City, they're going after pizza ovens, uh, coal and wood burning pizza ovens. They're doing, and, and uh, we've already mentioned the, the cars. We have a Scientific American article mentioning restrictions on ice cubes, how ice cubes are unsustainable. We have an article in Politico magazine about how hospitals have to save the climate now. There's a whole movement to cut back on anesthesia because of the carbon footprint. The American Cancer Society has fretted the carbon footprint of cancer care. In 2020, three years later, we're facing cancer drug shortages. Guess who we have to turn to in an emergency? China is now importing dr cancer drugs to the United States because the American Cancer Society kept their eye off the ball worrying about climate change instead. They're talking about timer limits for surgeons scrubbing up for infection control so they can limit the water that surgeons can do. This has gone bonkers into every aspect of our society, of our life. They're talking about cargo ships now returning to the age of sail so that cargo ships can meet the climate compliance costs. Bloomberg is talking about all the climate compliance laws taking away cheap airline travel for people. And they're now actually, I think it was Vogue magazine has an article about people who say, oh, I've been to Europe or I've traveled. That's going to now be frowned upon culturally because you're destroying the planet. They are literally seeking a world in which everything we've experienced during the 20th century and 21st century is going to be reversed and you'll literally stay at home. It's going to be a virtual world. They are, and it's unbelievable leaps and bounds and the people who should be opposing it aren't. But I think what's happening is the public is being red-pilled and there's a lot of optimism. In the case of COVID, I detail in my book, the school boards uh, with the lowest level of politics had angry parents showing up, upset that their kids were exposed to critical race theory, transgender ideology, and and climate, but mostly the COVID theater that they were being imposed, the masking and vaccines and the social distancing. These parents were declared domestic terrorists by the Biden administration, but it didn't deter them. Some of them got arrested 
angry. They ended up toppling the, gov the Democrat Party machine, which was the most pro-COVID lockdown here in the United States, in the state of Virginia and other places. The Democratic Party was so spooked that every major U.S. city lifted vaccine and mask mandates shortly after they did internal uh, surveys of Democratic voters. They were so scared. That's how you can affect change. We just need people to not comply, to fight back. I use the example of East Germany in the book. The East German government in 1989 didn't say, oh, 40 years of Soviet-controlled tyranny. Let's give the people freedom. The Berlin Wall came down live on CNN in November 1989 because the people of East Germany no longer gave their consent to tyranny. So what we need here is mass defiance, mass opposition, serious reforms, and we need to make politicians pay attention to our demands. And particularly politicians who espouse we're freedom, we're less government, the Republicans uh, in the United States and the alleged you know, conservatives and other places, they're the ones that need to hear the message louder. You expect the progressives to be all for this. As Jane Fonda said, COVID was God's gift to the left. It gave them absolute dictatorial control over every aspect of human endeavors, transportation, freedom of movement, medical care. This is what they've always wanted. This is what the actual sort of a Marxist ideology, a, a tyrannical ideology that believes, and this has been around in the United States since Woodrow Wilson's presidency in 1914, that the masses, if left to their own devices, will create inequity, racism, environmental destruction, uh, public health disasters, that we all need to be managed by experts. And this is how you had the absurd case of parents told to mask their five-year-old kid for eight hours a day, they'd go and complain and they'd say, well, do you have a degree in epidemiology? We're getting advice from the best experts in the world. And, and this is what it was. Who are you? You're a plumber. What do you know about virology? Get out of here. We're going to mask your kid because we know better than you. That's the whole idea of rule by expert. And that's what we have to fight ultimately, because that is what destroyed our the fabric of our once free life. And the last point I'll make is copying communist China. The WHO I mentioned sent that committee over in January 2020. They said copy China. China had the most tyrannical response to COVID. Italy followed it. And then the United States, Europe, and all the other once free West. And if you go back, as I do in the book, I show the New York Times praised one party rule in China decades ago. I show the UN climate chief, Christina Figueres, praised China's one party authoritarian rule decades ago. I show that Apple CEO praised China, the World Economic Forum praised China, Biden administration praised China, Justin Trudeau of Canada praised China for their admiration for their basic dictatorship. So what COVID did in these uh, emergency powers gave the once free West uh, what essentially Chinese one party rule. And this is why the, the progressives and the left and the, and the uh, central planners loved this whole lockdown because they were now like what they had ad admired and praised for decades. One party rule in China, that was came to the once free West. Thank you so much. I'll pass it on to Roy. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Hi, Mark. Hi, hi, Roy. So a lot of the lies that we're hearing is, oh, the water levels are rising and yes, the polar kind of. bears are, are actually, you know, they're all dying. And the reality is I heard it's something like four times the number of polar bears now than there yes. was. You see pictures from 100 years ago and the water levels are the exact same. So, like, unfortunately, we know that people, you know, they believe the hype. The same with all the, the, the graphs and things that they do. They remove parts to make it look like it's an upward curve. How do we kind of get the message out to the public that they? Well, it good? is that you you mentioned that photo. There's photos of I think places in Europe. There's photos of Miami Beach over a hundred years. They don't show anything. Here's the thing. Okay, let's start with sea level. Sea level been rising since the end of the last ice age, ten thousand plus years ago, and there's been no acceleration in the 20th century. Actually, again, Dr. Steve Coonan, a physicist who worked at you know, President Obama's Energy Department has done a recent book and his particular focus on sea level. And he says there's no acceleration of sea level in the past 50 years. So yes, but here's the catch. Sea level is rising, has been rising for 10,000 plus years. So yeah, you can scare people. But even if you listen to the current rate and the models that they do, uh, Greenland, was, if Greenland were to melt, this would be like thousands of years from now based on their own rates of increase. 
And that's, of course, assuming climate isn't cyclical going back and forth. I think we're getting the message out. What they do on all of these is they use climate models. And when current reality fails to alarm, as in the case of sea level, it's about the thickness of a nickel per year rise. And you can't stop it. You know, no more than you can stop continental drift or the tilt of the Earth's axis. But on the case of polar bears, are you ready for this? Polar bears are disappearing, but they're only disappearing from Al Gore's books and movies. And what I mean by that is Al Gore made the polar bear his poster child in 2006. It was all over. He did a sequel 2017. Guess what? No mention of the polar bear. Why? What happened in that 11 years since his first movie had come out? Polar bears are at or near historic population highs. You mentioned their numbers. They've gone from a low of four or 5,000 back in the 1960s, and they did a hunting ban. And, uh, and then their numbers have now swelled to in excess of 30,000 plus in the Arctic. The indigenous people agree with this. They've never counted this many polar bears. They say they're fat, healthy. You can always find a population or subpopulation in the Arctic that may be at the edge somewhere of their habitat and not doing as well. And of course, that's what the media does. And actually the media will find one sick polar bear and tell you that this is an indication. It's like finding someone's sick old dog and saying all dogs in America are threatened. Look at this dog here. It makes no sense because it's a classic example of these models. When current reality fails to alarm, makes scarier and scarier predictions. So what they'll do is they can look at this and even though we have more polar bears than other, even though they're healthier, even though they've adapted to, to conditions they're not even contemplating now with zero ice in the Arctic, they've, they have a species that survived for thousands of years without any ice at all, they can thrive in these environments. What they do is they say, well, our, our, it's worse than we thought for polar bears. And you say, how? There's more than we've ever counted. Their answer is, well, our predictions now of the year 2100 are much worse than they were five years ago. So it's looking more and more dire. And believe me, the New York Times, the BBC, everyone will pick up on that and run with that headline. Worse than we thought for polar bears. It's a misdirection. When they can't show you current reality being bad, they just make scarier and scarier predictions. They do it with hurricanes. They do it with drought. They do it with sea level. It's the oldest con in the book. And they'll actually call a climate model prediction data. They'll actually say, well, the data shows that that's not data. That's a prediction. Data is what's happening right now. And you'll find very little mention. When they do talk about what's happening right now in the United Nations reports and National Climate Assessment, they actually admit deep within these reports that there's no trend in hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, droughts, wildfires on climate timescales of 20, 50, 100 years. However, you can get a on global global issues. Now, you can find an area of California, Southwest California, since 2005, droughts have increased. If this continues at that rate, the whole state will be a blade. That's how they do the trickery. It's not global. It's not climate timescales. They pick a region. They cherry pick a date. Another last example, heat waves in the United States. We're hearing about the hottest year on record. Previous hottest years have been within the margin of error of the data sets. Hundreds of a degree, you can't even measure it. They're statistically not important. But if you look at what the Biden's EPA has done, they have a chart that says since 1960s, heat waves in the U.S. have skyrocketed, blah, blah, blah. And if you look at the deeper data, and this is available on Biden's EPA, they show the 1930s. The 1930s had heat waves that were 10 times or larger than anything we've experienced before or since. So if you look at the chart since the 1930s, heat waves are down dramatically in the United States. If you look at it where the Biden EPA started their analysis in 1960, it shows a dramatic increase because that was one of the coldest periods of the 20th century. So it's a game. And as someone said, you can get any statistics and pick, cherry pick the starting date, the region, and you can try to make any case you want. But what climate skeptics have been so persistent about and the reason we've survived and the reason we're slowly winning this debate, we look at it as a global scale on climate time scales. And even the UN climate reports are forced to admit we've been right on all of this, on the key metrics that they're using today. Hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, droughts, wildfires, and now even heat waves. You just mentioned wildfires because we saw that a few yes. years ago. They were everywhere. But there's a few people after coming out, they have uh, footage of the helicopters that were actually doing that. So, I mean, that's done in-house as well to use scare tactics. It is. In the case of wildfires, global wildfires are down. Global drought is down. In the United States and Canada, you can look at charts that show the 1920s and 30s, the fires were many, many times higher. It, 
and they're a terrible climate metric to begin with, uh, wildfires, because you're dealing with management, land use, water irrigation, it's politics, it's public policy. To sit there and even use wildfires as a climate metric is absurd, but but I'll play the game. If they wanna use it, we can show you all the charts of dramatic drops. Now they do the same thing there. They'll pick a region of Oregon or, or California and they'll say, in this area since you know 2012, the fires have increased. You can all, here's the point. Records will be broken every day, everywhere. That's major records. It's the same thing I use in an analogy of the lottery. If you look at the lottery, your chance of winning the lottery is very low, but the chance of someone winning the lottery somewhere is very high. Someone's going to win the lottery, the pick six, the pick three, whatever the numbers are. And that's how it works. But and the, what the media does, if you think of it like a casino with a slot machine, they highlight the winner. The, the casino highlights the winner of all their slot machines. So they have a wall of winners. You can go in a casino and be like, look, they won 10,000. They won 35,000. After spending five minutes looking at the wall of a lot of casino winners, you think, wow, everyone's a winner. The casinos are really paying out. This is incredible. We should be playing the slot machines. That's what the media does with extreme weather. They go around the world and cherry pick. Look at this. There was a heat wave in Australia. We had a flood in Bangladesh and there's a hurricane in Florida. This is unprecedented. The world's under fire. There's a. That's exactly how they do it. This is lowbrow lottery casino tactics. But I'll tell you what, they're lowbrow, but they're darn effective because they appeal to people's emotions. Why do you think casinos are popping up all over the world and gambling such a problem? Because the tactics work. Excellent. The, the World Health Organization digital passports, I believe there's like 80 yes. countries that have approved that. So like how that got approved is beyond me. Like nobody actually had a voting right or anything to do with that. Yes, uh, the, the, the digital passports are frightening and there's many aspects to this. In my book, I go through a whole chapter just on sort of the COVID vaccine and the Chinese social credit system. And now you have, even on the climate world, you have Al Gore partnering with Google for Google Trace. And it's a satellite that's going to monitor individual CO2 emitters from down to car level, to barns, to factories, tens of thousands. They're going to have monitoring all this data. What they've done, the World Health Organization has used, uh, in many of these cases, there are climate activists affiliated with Al Gore and other climate activists who have these apps this was the their, their holy grail, if you will, of what they were excited about with COVID. They want to get the whole world under this sort of global health passport. That's part of what this whole World Health Organization pandemic treaty, which they just had a meeting about a month ago in Geneva, Switzerland, at the uh, WHO uh, annual meeting. They're pushing this global pandemic treaty, just to understand the WHO. The number one single funder is Bill Gates to the WHO, exceeding even the United States government. When Now, if you look at the chart, it'll say United States government, then Bill Gates, number two. But then there's other organizations like Gavi, Bill Gates organizations. If you combine it, you, it turns out Bill Gates is either tied or exceeding the United States involvement. So a Bill Gates funded scientist at the WHO, if this pandemic treaty goes through for the member countries, will be able to declare instant global lockdowns with track and trace app, with uh, stay-at-home orders, with vaccine mandates, with uh, mask orders, and with business closures, et cetera. The Biden administration here in the U.S. is all for it. I believe most European countries are. Uh, this is the, the most frightening thing, and they're trying to globalize this, this, the idea that you would have an app. Now, the World Health Organization bragged, and the World Economic Forum bragged, that this was the way out of the pandemic. So what they do with these apps, and I'll get to Australia, how they use them in a second, but they, they come up with these tyrannical lockdowns. They take away everything. Your kid can't go to school. We had in the United States, the Deborah Burks, the, uh, the COVID coordinator, lament publicly on television that the United States lockdowns weren't strict enough and harsh enough. She says, we wish that we had followed what Italy did when they had their outbreak, where the government had to issue a permit for citizens in Italy, in the affected regions, the Lombardy region of Italy, that they couldn't leave their home except for one hour a week. You needed a government permit to go grocery shopping and only grocery shopping for essential items. This is what they wanted to have happen. So in order to get out of this tyranny, what the World Health Organization, you can watch their old videos from 2020, 2021 saying the way out is everyone's got to get these digital passports 
that are going to keep all your medical files. They'll be on file with the World Health Organization, with the EU, with the relevant government agencies. And if you want to go out of your home, you want to go grocery shopping, you want to go to work, you want to go to a concert, you want to use public transit, you're going to need your app. It's just so much easier. It's so great. But of course, if you're one of those who refused the vaccine or one of those who maybe posted a Facebook page opposing lockdowns, those apps aren't going to help you. They're going to be your prisoner. And one last point on the app, Australia famously used these apps. They had it down to a science. If you were in the Victorian region of uh, Australia uh, and other, other uh, Melbourne and places, they had an app where if you could go to a grocery store, everything's fine. You go shopping, you come home you get alerted the next day that you were within six feet of someone who later tested positive for COVID. You had two choices. You could stay home and self-quarantine for whether it was eight, 10 or 12 days. And if you refused to do that, government authorities would come and put you in a forced quarantine camp. And believe me, people were put in forced quarantine camps. I detail the trials in my book. You can watch the videos of people being taken. And that is the purpose of these track and trace apps. And those are the things that are perhaps the greatest symbol of the tyranny and one of the things we have to oppose the most. We do not have to comply with an experimental vaccine in order to leave our house, in order to have freedom of movement, in order to have a livelihood, in order to buy food. But that's exactly what a WHO pandemic treaty is desiring. And that's exactly what people like Bill Gates. In fact, Bill Gates told us multiple times, if you want to know how to handle the next pandemic, do what Australia did. He was so in love with Australia, perhaps only second to China in tyrannical response. Why should we care what Bill Gates says? Well, he's the one funding the WHO as the number one funder. And by the way, just for you, for reference, Bill Gates is also the number one single largest farmland owner in America. And he's announced that no one in the free West New Zealand, England, uh, Europe, United States, Canada, Australia should ever be eating real uh, livestock meat again. We should all be eating synthetic meat that, of course, he's heavily invested in and pushing the lab-grown meat, the vegetable oil processed meat, uh, and, of course, World Economic Forum's pushing insects as a replacement protein. So Bill Gates has his tentacles both in public health and in agriculture and also, of course, generally the climate world. Yeah, and just on the insects, uh, I don't think people are aware of those deadly parasites in a lot of the insects. It's different when they're grown like, down to a powder stuff, but when they're trying to get people yes. to eat the insects as is, the parasites are deadly. On the other thing that they push with the wind turbines, the solar yeah. power, I've seen massive uh, dumps where they can't recycle any of that. Like, there's yes. a tiny percentage that can be done that. But what I see here in Poland, that with... The solar, you know, there everybody sold a lie pretending you can sell back to the grid and everything. But then we're just bombarded with chemtrails. They're blocking out. And I know that's another plan that they're trying to block out the sun. Yes. So, like, is that something that you've delved into as well with all the chemicals that they're spraying on top of? Yes. Them? I mean, okay. In terms of right now, I'll go. By the way, Bill Gates again. No, Bill Gates, billions of dollars funding through Harvard University. And the Biden administration is now picking it up inject chemicals and aerosols into the atmosphere to block the sun. Now, this same thing has been around for decades. It was done mentioned during the Obama administration. They don't really, it's not ready for prime time, but they're using it as a scare tactic because it's so frightening, the negative side effects. In the 1970s, we thought our fossil fuels were causing global cooling by blocking out the sun with the aerosols from the fossil fuels. And they were actually talking about geoengineering the climate. They wanted to put black soot on the Arctic in order for the sun to increase the albedo so the sun would melt the Arctic because they were worried the ice was growing too much. Uh, and by the way, in the 1970s, man-made global cooling, they blamed hurricanes, floods, bad weather on global cooling. They said it was a national security threat. There would be more wars because of global cooling. They warned that we had tipping points. We had little time in which to act. They said all scientists agree. It was exactly the same climate playbook, but in the reverse. So what they're doing now, they're looking at this technology to block the sun. And it's radical. It's risky. It's insane. And they're using it as a lever to say, hey, until you give up ice cubes and gas stoves and your gas powered cars and meat, we're going to be forced to do this radical, risky experiment on the atmosphere because you're not complying. Uh, and we need you to comply. That's partially what they're doing. 
In addition to that, you have the Good Morning America, ABC News, mainstream news in the United States, goes on The View with Whoopi Goldberg. Her name is Ginger Z, the meteorologist, bragging about how 10 states are now doing cloud seeding, where they're injecting iodide into the clouds, a chemical using planes, and they're altering rain and snowstorms and weather patterns in order to enhance, improve, or prevent bad weather. This is pretty weird stuff we're living through right now and how open they are. Now, I just what I just mentioned to you, I went on Fox News and said, I was immediately denounced as a weather conspiracist because I also joked that this is like the World Economic Forum. Instead of you'll own nothing and be happy, I said, it seems the new mem is the government will control the weather and you'll be happy. So I was denounced by multiple progressive organizations as a weather conspiracy theorist. And all I was doing was quoting the mainstream meteorologists bragging about cloud seeding. And I was quoting Bill Gates' research at Harvard that the Biden administration is now considering to block the sun. All you have to do is tell the truth and you're immediately called a conspiracy theorist. Perfect. And just finally, before I pass it to Hartman, like all over the world, we're seeing people are trying to fight this. They're doing the courts and everything like just from my own kind of studying that you, by giving them the court's jurisdiction, you're kind of giving your power away. Have you seen anywhere success where people using the sovereignty? I mean, even with the mandate, according to black laws, you actually have to approve that you're agreeing to the mandate. You have to sign it. I mean, I know it's up to you fighting the police officer and how you get around that. But yes. have you seen any success in that kind of realm? Well, uh, yes, around the world, there's been, there's been, first of all, great court cases ruled uh, in a case like in, in the United States, in Pennsylvania, a judge in the, their Supreme Court ended the, the emergency powers that the governor had invoked. The, be, the best way around this, by the way, is, is through the legislator. You want to try to, the courts are good. Like, and for instance, in the United States, we had the Department of the CDC with the Department of Transportation impose the mask mandates for any airline travel, train travel. Republicans in Congress were worthless. This should have been a legislative issue. So it took one Trump appointed judge, I want to say a year and a half, almost two years, to say, no, this is unconstitutional. You can't do this. And the day he did it, I had a, my a coworker who was in the air. They came on the plane and said, a judge has ruled that this is unconstitutional. So all those who wish to take off their mask can. People whipped off their face masks on the plane and there was an eruption of cheering going on. That was because of one Trump appointed judge in the United States that almost took two years for it to happen. So you can't rely on the courts. In the case of electric cars, they're, they're, they're going to destroy gas powered cars before the courts end up ruling that this is unconstitutional. So the way to really fight this we have to return to democracy. We need emergency power reform. I think that's the number one thing. And the only presidential candidate talking about that in America is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is talking about reforming uh, the, the idea that you can't just have a politician declare an emergency and then boom, years later, you're still in an emergency and you don't and you can act as a dictator. You can affect people's freedom of movement food distribution, forced medical decisions, forced injections, forced masking of kids. That can never happen again. But I got news for you. Almost anywhere in the world, there's been very little, if any, reform of these emergency powers. That's what led to us, be the once free West copying one party China rule. Until we get to that, which is the most important issue, I think, surrounding the entire COVID lockdown and even for the COVID lockdown. Think, by the way, climate lockdowns. We didn't vote ban gas-powered cars. We didn't vote to start restricting meat eating. We didn't vote uh, to uh, collapse our, and although you could argue we did, but we were told a lie about energy collapse. We were told solar and wind are cheaper and they're going to replace fossil fuels and it's going to be easier and, and fossil fuels are so expensive. All lies. F solar and wind can't even compete on, in, out of the single digits with massive subsidies and mandates from the government. So imagine if they didn't have that. But we were so uh, when it looks when you when you look at uh, transportation and uh, and food supply, all of these decisions are being done through the unelected bureaucracy, 
through executive orders, and key thing is through corporate government collusion. These equity asset firms from BlackRock to State Street, uh, they, they pump in millions of dollars. It's happening right now with travel. They're telling the travel industry and airlines, you're only going to get money if you're following the United Nations Sustainable Development, the net zero goals, which does what? Increases the cost of airline tickets, which makes it out of the reach of average people. And they don't have to vote on whether we can still fly it's just not going to happen. People aren't going to be able to afford it. Bloomberg News, as I said, had an article. They're going to make travel, once again, the purview of only the wealthy for their seaside vacation. And that's what they're trying to do. It's happening now. You start banning flights. You increase the climate compliance costs. You increase the fuel costs. And you increase net zero mandates. You've taken care of both car travel, airline travel. And you do the same thing to agriculture. And then you're doing massive restrictions. And by the way, what's their solution to transportation, agriculture, energy? There's already calls saying the free market has failed and we need to nationalize these industries. And in fact, they want to globalize these industries, particularly food right now. That's what the whole idea is. The idea is if we're left to our own devices, national sovereignty and individual farms, we will destroy the earth. We need a global control because climate is global and it's an existential organization in 2018. said it was the greatest public health, public health threat of the 20th century. We're in deep. And again, I just want to say our biggest problem, and I'm including Donald Trump here, I'm including Ron DeSantis here, I'm including any European leader, any Australia, is they do not identify the real problem here. They can, they can occasionally oppose the right issues and oppose the electric car mandate, but they don't see the big picture. They don't present the big picture. We need someone who's going to come out and say, hell no to net zero, hell no to UN sustainable development goals, hell no to a WHO pandemic treaty. And that's what's in short supply. I mean, let, let's hope uh, that people come together. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has been strong. Vivek Ramaswamy here in the United States running for president has been strong. Donald Trump is generally strong, but he won't acknowledge his errors with COVID when he first started. And he made the insane allegation recently that Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York, who had the most tyrannical lockdowns, did a better job than Ron DeSantis. Now, Trump didn't really mean it. He was saying it rhetorically as a campaign, but that's kind of stuff that's damaging because Andrew Cuomo jumped on it and the media wants to keep the idea that lockdowns saved our lives. Brilliant. Listen, Mark, thanks very much. I'll partially have my I'm talking so long. I'll try to shorten my answers here. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mark. Um, I'm, I'm, I wanted to discuss the whole situation. On the one hand, we have the regulations. But we have also to keep in mind that this is a huge business. Yeah, this is the problem here is um, the, the most people don't understand the financial tsunami yes. which will come to us, first of all, uh, so that the people get a feeling. For example, there is the OTC, the over the counter bill uh, trading. And this makes $7.5 trillion per day. Yeah, the interbanking dealer is $3.5 billion a day. And in the commodity business, the carbon dioxide certificates is, the, yes. is from the quantity, concerning the quantity, the highest commodity or the biggest commodity in the world, bigger than gas and oil and etc. So, so the trading of the carbon dioxide certificates will become a very deep, impact in the future from their point of view. Yes. And in fact, all of this, and you could also put this in the financial world under the umbrella of the environment social governance, which is now a global phenomenon. And again, this is done by equity asset. And the idea is unless you, if you're a company, unless you build in all of these uh, climate regulations, but not just climate, whether it's got to be transgender, it's got to be critical race, it's got to be uh, all the woke agenda, for lack of a better word, you won't get funded. In other yeah. words, you could have the greatest, they don't, and it's, a, it's coming from the World Economic Forum, they start 1971, the idea of stakeholder capitalism, no longer is a business or a private enterprise evaluated on a return to investment, on product, on employee benefits, on profit. It's now on whether you're following critical race, transgender ideology, the climate agenda. If you deviate from that, not only will you not get loans, you won't get social media, you won't get access, you won't get business um, certifications. That is what's frightening. And then adding to that in the United States and in Europe, they're pushing now the central bank digital currency, CBDC, which is 
more than just a cashless society. This is a run by, it's not, it's not uh, cryptocurrency. It's, it's a form of it, but it's government central bank cryptocurrency, not decentralized cryptocurrency. And the Bank of England said the quiet part out loud. This will allow, central bank digital currency will allow governments to tell their citizens to, to only allow their citizens to spend on what the government deems sensible. So you want to buy a firearm, you want to buy a steak, you want to get gas for your car. That's not sensible in a climate emergency. And that is what we're facing. So businesses are facing it. Individuals are facing it. We need a massive wholesale pushback. And when I, I guess I want to say this again. The reason I keep saying we need a pushback is we need a pushback on the narratives, not like, oh, you know, I don't support CBDCs. That's not a good idea. No, we need a pushback. If you ask Mitch, uh, not Mitch McConnell, but Kevin McCarthy, the Republican House leader in the United States, the Republican Congress took over. Yay. Ask him about climate change. You know what his answer is? Climate's a problem and we believe we have a solution. We're going to plant trees and we're going to capture carbon dioxide in the ground. So we care about the climate change. You can't call us deniers. That's literally what he says. You can watch videos of him. That's how he's dealing with all this. Instead of saying, like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has recently said to me, the simplest, best answer. I will not be, this is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., environmental lawyer, man who went to jail the CEOs of energy companies for climate crimes, now says in 2023, I will not be talking about climate during this campaign. The climate issue has been hijacked by the World Economic Forum and the UN for totalitarian control of society. Boom. That's what the Republican leader of the House should be saying, not pandering to climate bullshit. Sorry, I don't know if you have kids watching, but that's the problem we're facing right now. So we need lack of compliance. We need people to wake up and we need leadership that will fight this at the narrative level, not like, oh, I don't like that proposal. That doesn't seem to make too much sense. No, we need to say hell no. The biggest thing is hell no to the UN treaties, hell no to net zero, hell no to... Uh, any of these climate restrictions in the sustainable development agenda by the United Nations as well, which is like a festering little boil into every aspect of human endeavor. Yeah, this, uh, the situation is, for example, every big company has, um, for example, a transgender logo already. Yes, so whole sustainability and officer. It's all ESG compliance. You this, have, they're there's forced. No kind of Vanguard, and, and the reason is Vanguard and BlackRock because... They yeah. They are behind this. They are. They put in, you combine them together, Vanguard, Black, their, their economy is bigger than the United States in the trillions. I don't have the number in my head. But they're ahead of it. Larry Fink of BlackRock has said, we need to use coercion to get this agenda through. And they're perfectly awake. So they're getting retirees' money from federal retirement, other retire, and they're using this to remake the world. They're using it to remake agriculture, to remake business, to remake transportation. And the key is all of this is, and I, I, I don't think I've emphasized this enough. This is corporate government collusion, no democracy. It bypasses democracy. And this is why, for instance, the Green New Deal, even though it's been introduced twice in the US Congress, has never been scheduled for hearing, never had a vote scheduled, never had uh, town halls, constituent service, uh, flooding the switchboards. They don't need democracy. They don't need to pass the Green New Deal. Biden has announced every cabinet agency is a climate agency. The banking industry is a climate uh, tool. The, uh, the, uh, the land use regulations are climate tools. And in the case of the Netherlands farmers, their leader, Prime Minister Rudd, who went for World Economic Forum Young Leader Training, and this is why Klaus Schwab penetrates, we penetrate the cabinets. They says half the world's cabinets. He's probably right. He said Justin Trudeau's cabinet, Justin Trudeau himself, world leaders all throughout Europe have all been through World Economic Forum training classes to be basically little tyrants to go along with this globalist corporate agenda. So essentially what's happening is these leaders come in, they go to a UN climate summit, they all limit the Earth's temperature to two degrees Celsius, I'll beat you, I'll do 1.5 degrees. There are a bunch of modern witches up there claiming they can control the Earth's temperature to within fractions of a degree and winning virtue signaling points. But the virtue signaling has a real cost. They then sign on to the UN Paris Agreement and the net zero goals. Their country then is uh, beholden, and then the court in the Netherlands ruled that they had to start meeting it and they started issuing these farm restrictions. And who is the farming gonna affect the restrictions, the climate compliance costs? 
It's not the big equity asset, Bill Gates or China or corporate owned farms. It was going to pound the 12,000 family run generational independent farms in the Netherlands. And that's the exact same thing that's happening. By the way, the climate and the, in the electric car world, as they ban gas powered cars, I have this documented every major corporate entity from Bloomberg News to BBC to Washington Post, et cetera, have all said that once the electric car becomes the standard and gas powered cars start going out, China instantly becomes the world's number one automaker by far. It's bye bye for the US automakers, bye bye for European, bye bye for Australian, because they'll never be able to compete. And this is another issue. It's like I already mentioned how we're relying on them now for cancer drugs. We're obviously relying on China for the solar and wind and electric car batteries. But now we're going to be relying on them for the car production. They've already passed North South Korea and the United States in car exports. And they're going to be the number one automaker in the world. It's like a slow motion train wreck. And you have politicians here saying, and even the automobile industry in the United States said the auto trade group, like, well, I think the EPA is going a little far and we can't keep up with their regulations. And they're just like fiddling while the whole world is crashing around. And we need corporate leaders to stand up and we need uh, government politicians to stand up. Unfortunately, I don't think either will. This has to come from a groundspring from the people. We've got to start resisting and we have to start uh, forcing the politicians to say no. No to car bans, no to meat bans, no to food restrictions, no to flight bans, uh, no to energy uh, bans and uh, making energy more expensive. It's just a perfect storm, everything coming together. I didn't even get into the whole First Amendment, uh, at least in the U.S. First Amendment, but free speech restrictions. Uh, and that's a whole nother issue that they're doing. And again, that comes down. It's not far-fetched. Central bank digital currency. You go use, and by the way, this is happening now. UN and MasterCard uh, 2021 teamed up. There's a credit card that monitors your carbon footprint. When you hit your carbon max, the card stops your ability to spend. It's voluntary now. But under central bank digital currency, you could literally be faced with you go to buy something and voila, it says card declined because you have hate speech up on Facebook and you can't use this card until you know your, your hate speech as defined by the government is removed. And this is what happened with and we can see what happens when you look at Justin Trudeau in Canada. He literally declared them domestic terrorists under the Emergencies Act. He picked up the phone, called the banking industry, called the insurance agency, said, these are terrorists. I want you to cut off access to their own money, not government services, not you know their pension from the government, but they had no access to their own money in their own private bank account. That's how insane this was. That's the future of central bank digital currency. Yeah. And... Uh... To see it from this point of view that these governments, all the governments worldwide, they work with statistics. For example, I know 20 years ago that the German ministries, they made statistics how many people have or are owning a house. Because people who own a house, they have a credit. And if they have a credit, they, do, they have to work for the credits and they don't go they don't make uh, they don't go to demonstrations so they looked in yes. a specific way that there are many enough people who have um who have houses so that there's so that the country is quiet and the problem uh, the uh, the world economic forum made also statistics whether there is something in which the common people can believe in or whether there is a leader and the interesting thing is there was no leader and the people the common people They don't believe in anything except in their own job, except in their own work. And this is something which gives them security. And from the point of view, for example, that like you mentioned it on your homepage with the, with the hospitals, the hospitals become uh, a machine for climate change. And it's not only the hospitals, every single company has yes. become a uh, Uh, a machine for the climate change so that there, yeah. there is no one there is no one person which is the enemy we cannot we are in a we are in a wall where we cannot see the enemy this is the most this is very important yes in fact your point is very and key point to, to bring up the eu has the same issue when they say you can't do business with the eu you can't do business with a hospital in that case or you can't do business say with an automaker based on esg standards 
That means every supplier to that company or government, every truck driver, every supplier of any product or truck has to then be certified with the woke ESG agenda or they don't they can't make a livelihood. And I'll, I'll bring this back. This is the reason Donald Trump was so hated. Donald Trump was just even though he may not have been as articulate and doesn't get into the depth on this great reset issue, he was just naturally an America first sovereign person who believed in national sovereignty for countries. He was a roadblock to this entire agenda. He pulled the US out of the UN Paris agreement. He was literally taken down from the presidency and they're now trying to make it so he can't run again because he is really the biggest obstacle. Now, I don't know that I'm convinced DeSantis is. My fear is DeSantis is a, a component of the establishment. And even though he's great on a lot of these talking issues and he's done a great job in Florida, in order to take out Trump, he's gonna have to get the donor base here in the United States and this, the GOP establishment. He's not gonna be the guy. So Trump, the reason he was taken out, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., by the way, another one who terrifies them. And it's because of what you just said. There's there's the there's the oppositional level of the lowest level. You can fight this, but even that's hard because you need a livelihood. So when you have a transformational figure like a Trump or Robert F. Kennedy Jr., they have to take him out. Have you ever seen a politician whether they've tried to take out more than Donald Trump, multiple impeachments, multiple charges, threat of federal jail, trumped up charges, so to speak. And they're going to go after Robert F. Kennedy Jr. if he continues to grow as a threat in the Democratic Party side as well. And my last question before I pass it to Grace. Sure. Um, I read today that in 41 days, the BRICS states are going to establish their own currency, which, which, which shall be gold-backed. Do you think that we will have in 41 days the crash of the dollar and euro, or do you think it will take a little bit longer? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not one of these financial futurists, but th these are all significant developments. Uh, obviously, the Ukraine war has been a disaster for the United States and the sanctions against Russia. All it has done, of course, is forced an alliance between Russia and China and then weaken the U.S. dollar. And now the Chinese currency may be the, the global standard. I mean, It's been a disaster. I don't know, but we can tell you that all the trends are there. It's coming. It's the coming collapse of the U.S. as the reserve currency. Um, and, you know, there's it's the coming collapse for so many things, but that's actually the stated goal of the World Economic Forum. The U.S. will no longer be a superpower or the sole superpower. So they're coming after it. And this is what President Obama has supported this agenda, Biden Uh, and in fact, the only one who hasn't is Donald Trump. I mean, you can get every Republican president since Reagan, and that includes George H.W. Bush, including their nominees, Bob Dole, including George W. Bush, including John McCain, including Mitt Romney. You can have every one of them shit can them down the road. I'll take all that for a Donald Trump because all of those guys supported this global agenda and that and against national sovereignty and against the even the interests of the United States. Now, I got to be careful talking about the interest in the United States because I don't really support a lot of what people say are the interest because they'll say the Iraq war was in the end. I oppose the Gulf War. I oppose the Iraq War. I oppose Ukraine involvement. Um, and, you know, I'm one of the sort of Pat Buchanan, if you remember him as a political America first, long before Donald Trump came on the scene. And so this has been what they define as in the U.S. national interest is not usually. It usually means the U.S. is a global empire overextending itself and bankrupting its citizens. In fact, there was a great speech by Max Blumenthal to the United Nations about how essentially the Ukraine involvement, the money being sent to Ukraine from the United States government, isn't even leaving the United States. It's going right into the pockets of American defense contract or corporate or globalist defense contractors. And that's where the money's going. So Anyway, I, I, we're getting off topic there, but I'm just saying it's I, I don't know. And I'm not even convinced it's a bad thing if that happens in the U.S. because the U.S. needs to uh, start, you know, stop their uh, their a lot of their foreign policy shenanigans. I see. Now, thank you so much. It was, re it was a real pleasure, sir. And I pass you to Grace. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Excellent. This is so worth spending the time with you and of course for our viewers and so we ask again to please share like subscribe and support mark morano at uh, climatedepot.com and twitter at climate depot and uh, other more links that you want to share for them to follow you mark or anything? no it's just 
the the book is the Great Reset: Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. There's a book by Glenn Beck of the same name, and a book by Alex Jones of the same name. I've read the other two, and in my humble opinion, I'm sure it's not biased. I think my book is a better overall comprehensive book than the other two books. So if you look at it, take a look at that. My website's Climate Depot, and I'm also at, at Climate Depot on Twitter. So thank you very much. And do support the godfather of climate change. <laughs> okay, he's, uh, he's got over 4,000 and people have referenced him for over 4,000, he get the top rating. So, you know, those who, who who's on the other side will be going after him all the time, but he will never disappear. And so, and yes, as he made mention, let's remember that our, and we just had a July 4th celebration. Remember that our founding fathers continued, um, initiated, sacrificed this American experiment, which, for Matthew Eric, who is also a independent journalist, it is an unfinished symphony. Meaning, as Mark said, we need to continue our work and we need to really say no and just resist the things that they've been promoting. And at the end, and before the my before we close this, I also want to pay respect to Mark to those who have laid down the foundation of this movement because. I understand that many have passed, a number of people, significant people have passed away as well in 2020, 2021, and 2022, and perhaps 2023. And they've been also affected with our lockdown. Whether we have our, uh, how do you call it, a uh, comorbidities or not, but people have been affected with what happened. Businesses, lives have been destroyed. So we pay respect to them. And uh, one of them is also the uh, Apollo 7 pilot, uh, Walt Cunningham. Walt Cunningham, yes. I traveled with him at UN summits multiple times in Peru and Poland and other places. And we did press conferences and speeches and uh, he's fantastic, an American hero. He just died earlier this year, January of this year, at uh, age over 90 years old. And to all of you who, who lead us, please take care of yourselves. We take care of ourselves. You take care of ourselves. So we continue this conversation. If not soon, later, it will be, Mark will be with us again. Thank, yes, thank you. you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank you.